Good morning. I'm Keith Pugh, one of the co-pastors here at Alberta Baptist Church, and it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, and I see a number of guests with us today. Again, I want to, as Pastor Colby earlier, welcome you, and uh, we're glad you're here today. I know many are in town for the baptism and other events here, but uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Please take your Bible and turn to the first chapter of James. We began a study in the book of James last Sunday, and we are going to work our way through this book, wonderful book, throughout the summer. James, the first chapter, we, last week we began by looking at verse one. And this morning I want to begin by reading a couple verses and then we will, uh, we will begin. James chapter one, verse two, James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, what an awesome challenge we see in scripture to rejoice in times of trial. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning, open our hearts, Lord, draw us closer to your heart today. Lord, help us to see the world for what it really is. Help us, Lord, to see you for who you really are. And Father, your wonderful plan for our life. God, we thank you for the next few moments that we'll share together. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, dedicate this message this morning to my mother, Miss Billy Pugh. Her given name is Elizabeth, but she had five older siblings, and her youngest brother couldn't say Elizabeth, and so she, he got out Bill or something. Anyway, she became Billy. She grew up in a sharecropper's home. Her mom and dad were sharecroppers. Some of you older folks may know what that means. She, she married young in life, and her firstborn child was a young guy named Jerry Oliver Pugh who within a few years uh, contracted leukemia and went to be with the Lord at age five. Uh, She had other children, obviously, my brother, and then I was born, and my sister was born a year and a half after, after me. But mom knows what it's like to go through trials. She has buried a son. She's buried her husband. And many of you know, just less than two years ago, my youngest sister Uh, died tragically, and mother was at that funeral. When the scripture says to count it all joy, I've seen that in my mother. So I'm standing here today to tell you this is possible. It is possible. And so mama, I know you're listening. My 90-year-old mother surfs the World Wide Web. She listens to me and Pastor Cody (laughs) <laughs> she never <laughs> Oh, I love Cody. I love Cody. And I say, yes, mom, it's Cody. Anyway, but she listens online. And so I know my mama's listening when Kyle down- downloads this onto our website. So mama, thank you for living out the scripture for me. Now let's begin. Last Sunday, we looked at verse one, where James says that he's writing to a group of Jews who had been dispersed. 
Now, the dispersion began in intensity after the death of Stephen. So Jewish Christians were scattered. So they were literally scattered all throughout the region. And we said that this term that he's writing to reminds us of two things, reminds us of persecution, but also reminds us of hope. They were persecuted for their faith, but this term dispersion, they were scattered for a while. If you're reading the Bible plan, you notice how Naomi, Ruth's mother, as we read this week in the book of Ruth, she sojourned in Moab. In other words, she was there for just a little while. And that's what it means to be dispersed. It means we're not home now, but we're going home one day. <laughs> and so as Paul, it's just Paul, as James writes this letter, he's writing to a group of people who've been scattered, but it's important for us to know that we're going home one day. That's the hope that we have. And I believe that's the key to understanding what James has to say as he writes this command, rejoice, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because this world is not our home and we are going home one day. We know this to be true. We know this to be true. But you know what, church? It doesn't make it any easier, does it? to rejoice, to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Many times joy is the last thing we think about when we encounter a trial. So this morning, as I, I've taught the book of James many times, but this week, it just, God just impressed in my heart that, you know, it is possible, but it's not easy. It's only by the grace of God. Remember last week, we talked about James and do you remember what his nickname was? Anybody? What was it? Camel Knees. And that came from his continual prayer life. He was always on his knees before the Lord. So this morning in verse five, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So everything that we need to encounter various trials with joy, we need to ask of God. Okay. So let me just say this off the bat. When we encounter various trials, instead of running from God, we need to lean into God more than ever. We need to realize it's only by the grace of God that we can find joy in a time of trial. So when we encounter trials, we need to turn to the Lord. I want you to know that's what I've seen in my mom. Teresa knows. My mother is a woman of prayer. When I met Teresa on June the 2nd, 1979, and then later, October 19th, I told her I loved her, and then October 26th, I asked her to marry her, and then that next weekend, I, we, I introduced her to my mom, and she said, Teresa, I've been praying for you since the day Keith was born. That's the only way I could marry a woman like that. <laughs> God made her do it. <laughs> But I've been praying for you since the day Keith was born. My mom is a woman of prayer. And so as we encounter trials, the first thing we need to do is to lean into God, to know it's only by his grace can we encounter trials and even find joy in trials. That's what James says in James 4, 6. But he gives a greater grace. And I love that because James doesn't even say greater than what? It's just kind of like a blank check. Whatever you face, God's grace is greater. He gives a greater grace. But notice this, the condition. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In humility, in times of trial, let's just go to the Lord. Let's just ask God. Let's just ask God. First of all, let's ask God for a joyful heart. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. 
As I said, if we're honest, joy is not our first reaction to trials. We need God's grace to respond properly when trials come into our life. We need God's grace to consider the trial in such a way that it will produce joy. Let me say that again. We need God's grace to consider, as James tells us, as scripture says, to consider this trial in a way that it will produce joy. Now, first of all, James says, when you encounter, not if. Peter says, why are you surprised when you encounter various trials? We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said this, John 16, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me, you may have peace. Notice this, in this world, you shall have tribulation. But I love this part, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Hey, Jesus has got it, but we're gonna get it in the world. Don't be surprised. It's not if you encounter various trials, but when you encounter. In this world, you shall have tribulations. When we encounter various trials, notice that. When we, really the word means when you fall into, when you fall into various trials. Jesus used that term when he's talking about the good Samaritan and the man was traveling and he fell among thieves. He wasn't looking for thieves. Nobody goes looking for thieves and we don't go looking for trials. But when you fall into trials, when you encounter various trials, and now we're not talking about temptations. We're going to talk about temptation next Sunday. But these are trials that come our way that we're not looking for. These are trials that come our way because of our faith. These are trials that come our way because we live in a fallen world. These are difficulties and trials that come our way even when we're walking with the Lord, especially when we're walking with the Lord. But James is telling us to put our trials into perspective. Now, let me just give you a heads up. When your trials come, don't try to act like you're okay. Don't belittle your trial. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't make light of them or act like, oh, I've got this or like it's no big deal. Let me tell you, God knows what you're going through. If we have a God who numbers the very hair on our head, we have a God who keeps every tear in a bottle. We have a God who says he, we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for you. And when you have a trial, when you have a difficulty, when you have a challenge, God is right there. Don't act like everything's okay. I want you to know this. Trials come in all forms. We're assured of that. But I want you to know that God has a grace that comes in various forms. God has grace that will meet you at that particular point of need. I love 1 Peter 4.10 where Peter says we're to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does manifold mean? That's not on a 57 Chevy. A manifold means many colored, various colored. Manifold, many colored. Trials come in all forms and God's grace comes in just the right form for every occasion. He gives a greater grace. Now, the Jews, they were going through trials. Their trials looked like persecution. They'd been driven from their homes because of their faith. Our trials today could be the loss of a job, a divorce, a sick child, the death of a family member, 
financial difficulty. Trials come in various ways, not because we're out of God's will, but simply because we're living life and challenges come. Challenges come. Trials will come. When trials come, we turn to the Lord. What did James say? He says we are to consider, consider it all joy. We ask God for the grace to help us consider, which means the word consider here, he's saying to think forward, to regard as in the future. As you live in the present, consider the future. Think forward to the future. Gloom now, but glory later. That's what James is saying. Consider, think about this trial. Consider it from a godly perspective. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Philip Yancey says, rejoicing in suffering does not mean Christians should act happy about tragedy and pain when they feel like crying. Such a view distorts honesty and true expression of feelings. Christianity is not phony. I, mean, just, I think some of us have tried to pretend too long. Christianity is not phony. The Bible spotlight is on the end result, the use God can make of suffering in our lives. Before he can produce that result, however, he first needs our commitment of trust in him. That's where this consider comes in, our trust in him. And the process of giving him that commitment can be described as rejoicing. That's where the joy comes from, as we give it to the Lord. Again, so you know, that sounds great. And you and I, we want to commit it to the Lord. We want to trust him. But preacher, I'm struggling. I have a hard time. Christianity is not phony. Faith is not pretending it's not there. Faith is giving it to the Lord even when we're hurting. When we feel like crying, when we're crying, ask God, Lord, by your grace, give me the grace to consider to have a joyful heart in the midst of trials. How can we do this? James tells us in verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, a joyful heart can be ours from the knowledge, as we understand, that God is at work in my situation. Knowing that God is using this. I can rejoice in all things because God is working in this situation to make me a stronger believer, to build my faith, to make me a godly man, a godly woman, to draw me closer to him. God is using this. Therefore, I can rejoice because I know, I know, I K-N-O-W, I know, I know that the testing of my faith is being used by God. Let me just say this. We could not rejoice if we did not know that God was at work. We couldn't rejoice. But you and I can have joy and we can have peace because we know God is at work. You know, I'm not... (laughs) I'm like the old preacher said, I don't know nothing, but my cousin does. You know, I'm not an apologist or a theologian, but you know, there's some things that, that you and I, you can't argue with peace. You can't argue with joy. 
And there are a lot of intellectual arguments out there, philosophers and all this stuff. But man, when somebody walks in the room and they've got the peace of God in their life, somebody, a lady walks in and she's got the joy of the Lord as her strength. You can't argue with that. You can't deny that. And that's what God offers us even in the midst of trials. In Romans 5, Pastor Kobe read that a while ago. Let me just visit that for just a minute. Paul says, we exult. That's joyful exuberance. We exult in our tribulations. And here's the word, knowing, knowing, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Paul says the same thing James says. God is at work in the midst of trials. He's giving us, he's building into us perseverance, proven character, hope, and love. All of these are found in Christ. All of these are ours through the Holy Spirit who's been poured out in our hearts. And one more passage in Romans, very familiar, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Paul says here again, and we know, K-N-O-W, we know, that God causes. You know, for years I always said, and we know that all things work together for good. And I think that may be one translation, but I love this. And we know that God causes. <laughs> we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me tell you, church, here's the secret God's plan for your life, his predestined plan is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And that's through the fires and the trials of life. His plan for you, his plan for me is to conform us into the image of his son. That's what holiness looks like. Not to make us happy, but to make us like Jesus, to transform us from glory to glory into the image of his son. We need to realize that. We need to know that and remember that, especially during difficult times. God purifies and strengthens our faith through the difficult times. Just kind of a, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith, faith is not believing that God will do the impossible. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. Our faith doesn't come from miracles. I went to Jasper one time. I was traveling years ago and I heard about the face of Jesus in the hospital. You ever been there? There's a door in the hospital in Jasper and on the door, the wood grain looks like the face of Jesus. Oh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Jesus appeared. One guy, they had a trailer park and a lady turned on the lights at night and the shadow cast Jesus on the trailer next door. She charged $3 a person to come by and see Jesus on the house trailer. One guy said it looked more like Willie Nelson. You know, we, we don't need, we don't need miracles. We don't need strange supernatural events to make, how many people are going to believe in Jesus because of a door in a hospital? You know, I mean, it's unusual, but faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. God tests our faith and he does that through trials. The tests of life increase and purify our faith. And not only does it increase and purify it, but listen to what William Barclay says. This endurance, 
is not simply the ability to bear with things. It is the ability to turn them to greatness and glory. The thing which amazed the heathen in the centuries of persecution was that the martyrs did not die grimly. They died singing. (laughs) They died singing. Oh, church. Wow. God's grace is sufficient. When trials come, we ask the Lord, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Give me the grace to know that you are working in my life. Give me the grace to know that you are using this to conform me into the image of Jesus. We need to preach to ourselves, as David did that often. This knowledge produces joy. James says also, number three, verse four, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, the key to that verse right there is one three-letter word. The little word, let. Let. When we encounter various trials, we pray, God, give me the grace to consider it from your perspective. God, give me the grace to know that you are working in my life. But here's the key. God, give me the grace to surrender to your purposes. And let endurance. Okay, God, here it is. I'm going to let go of this thing. I'm going to surrender my will to your will. There are no shortcuts to this growth process. And so, God, I've tried it on my way and it didn't work out so well. But, God, I'm going to let you have your way in my life. I'm going to surrender my will to your will. As we let endurance have its perfect result. Why? So that we can be brought into completion. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's interesting To be complete, to be perfect means that something has all its parts and has been made whole, is fully developed. Now we know, as Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, not that we've become perfect or have already obtained. We're not there. But we press on so that we may lay hold of that which also we were laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We're, We're not there. And we won't get there in this life. But we will surrender our will to God's will so that we can be continually growing in that process, being conformed into the image of Jesus, being transformed from glory to glory. None of us are there yet, but God is at work in us through the trials of life. We realize that for us to be spiritually mature, there are things in our lives that must be taken out. I love that old analogy of the guy who made wooden dogs. See, how do you, how do you make wooden dogs? He says, I take a knife in one hand, a block of wood in the other hand, and cut off everything that doesn't look like a dog. You know, that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to cut out everything that doesn't like Je- look like Jesus. There are things that need to be taken out, but there are things that also that need to be put in, like perseverance and proven character and hope. Those are the things that God wants to build in our life through trials. That process that we're in, what's it called? Sanctification. Being made more and more like Christ. It's often painful, but it is possible. As we let God have his way in our life, we surrender. We ask God, God, you know, my tendency is to fight. My tendency is to do everything on my own. But God, I want a surrendered heart. I can't handle this. This is greater than I am. 
Paul said the same thing. He asked God for healing, thorn in the flesh. Finally, God said, my strength is made perfect, Paul, in your weakness. In your weakness. That's the surrendered heart. Fourthly, ask God for wisdom. Verse five. So here, here we are. We got this process going on. And if you and I think we've got it all together, we're sadly mistaken. Here's the key I found is that when, when Brother Herbert's going through a trial, I can look at Herbert and say, Herbert, I believe this is what God's doing in your life. But you know, when Brother Keith is going through the trial, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Lord, what are you doing? It's a lot easier to see and surmise God's purpose in someone else's life. But when it's happening to me, <laughs> I, most of I don't have a clue. That's what, this is why I need verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So we ask in wisdom, God, give me your perspective on my life, my situation, my circumstances right now. I need your wisdom, okay? And so what James does, like Proverbs, he gives us a little parable in verses nine through 11 about God's wisdom. See, we don't see the world the way God sees the world. So James tells us in verse nine about wisdom. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Who's the brother of humble circumstances? The poor. The poor man is to glory in his high position and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. What's he saying here? As Colby says often, it's a picture of the upside down kingdom the upside down kingdom. Let the poor man glory. Let the rich man be humiliated. Look over chapter two, verse four, real quick. Or verse five. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored, the, no, that's good enough. So what J James is saying is this, okay? The poor man, the poor man is the one who is rich in faith. The poor man who has Jesus is rich beyond measure. The rich man without Jesus is to be pitied, to be pitied. So God's wisdom, Peter said this, all flesh is like grass. All its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of, but the, word of the Lord endures forever. James did not have a real high view of the rich man. Now, I know rich people who are very godly, very generous. But for most of us, we can fall into the trap, as Jesus described, the deceitfulness of riches. He said that, that some of the seed was choked out because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. So James says, God, give me wisdom. In the midst of trials, Lord, help me to see and keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, help me to have an eternal perspective. It's not about success. It's not about material things. It's about being a godly man, a godly woman. 
I want to be pleasing to you. Give me an eternal perspective about what's really important, things that really matter. We need God's wisdom to know. We need God's wisdom to know that when we're going through trials, especially. How can we know that God will answer our prayer? James tells us three things. First of all, God is good. And you say, well, you know, we learned that as a little kid. God is good. God is great. I can't remember the rest of it, but we know God is good and God is great. But sometimes in the midst of trials, we can forget that, can't we? God is good. James tells us, look at verse 17. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. On this Mother's Day, I can thank God for my mother. I can thank God for the mother of my children because they are good things. (laughs) God is good. God is also, James says, generous. Verse 5. He gives us wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously. Those who ask God for wisdom. See, here's the key. Instead of turning away from God and getting bitter, we we lean into God. We cry out to God. God, give me wisdom. Give me grace to consider this trial. Give me grace to know that you are at work in this trial. And you know what God will do? He will give it to you, but not just a little. He'll, James says he will give it to you generously, generously. He will pour out his wisdom on those who seek him. God is good. God is generous. God is gracious. James says that God gives his wisdom without reproach, without insult. He does not scold us for coming no matter how often we come. No matter how often we come. Reminds me of the little boy going to bed at night. He said, Daddy, give me a glass of water. No, son, go to bed. Daddy, please let me have a glass of water. No, son, go to bed. Daddy, please let me. Son, if you say one more word about a glass of water, I'm going to spank you. The little boy said, Daddy, when you get up and spank me, will you give me a glass of water? <laughs> Do you ever feel like that with God? God, give me this. Oh, give me that. God, you know, sometimes we're praying for the wrong things. We ask amiss. But, you know, when we pray for wisdom, God never gets tired of hearing that. God never gets tired. He gives without reproach, without insult. We know these truths about God. So let me ask church, why do we wait so long to reach out for his help? Why do we pretend like we got this guy instead of running to our father? Finally, James says, but he must ask in faith. Ask God for an unwavering heart. Lord, I have faith, but help my unbelief is what the prayer in the New Testament Lord, help my unbelief. God is good. He's generous and gracious, and we can come to him in faith. But even knowing these truths, sometimes we struggle. We struggle. We want a faith without any doubt, and we don't want to be like the sea tossed to and fro. But for many of us, that's where we are. That's who we are. We want to be a man or woman of faith who continually looks to the Father, in times, especially in times of trouble. It is only when we look to him can we find the grace to endure our trials. And we find it. And here's the key. Our faith is in him. Even as the size, as Kobe says often, it's not the size of our faith. It's the object of our faith as we look to him. So this morning, as I close, if you're going through a tough time, don't turn away from the Lord. Turn to him. 
James says in 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I love that. No conditions. Draw near to God. Many people have come to Christ through difficult situations, through difficult circumstances. We've reached the end of our rope when we look up to the Lord. Let me just tell you this. God doesn't always take you out of difficulty, but he will always see you through difficulty. He will see you through. Christianity is not phony. We don't just pretend. We cling. We cling. Father, thank you for this precious promise. That God, that you are with us, that you are at work, even in the difficult times of our life. And so, Lord, we lean into you. We call upon you. We cling to you as our only hope. As our only hope. Lord, I feel like in, even in this service today, there are some people here who are going through some difficult times and they don't have any answers. Lord, I pray by your grace they would look to you this morning as the answer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You're the one who doesn't say, have to say, I care about you. Because you have demonstrated your love for us. And while we were all sinners, you died for us on the cross. What more can be said about your caring for us, for them in particular? You care. Lord, I pray that somehow that struggling heart today would turn to you in faith and trust Jesus. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Trust him as the author and perfecter, trust him with their life, not just their death, eternal life, but with their life today because your ways are good. God, we love you and thank you this morning. I pray that, Father, as your Holy Spirit works, God, give us the grace to respond for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.